You're listening to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast, the leading source of daily news and insight for family law practitioners in England and Wales. Sign up to our free weekly newsletter at todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk and subscribe to hear all the latest news and views from across the family law sector. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello, welcome along to the latest Today's Family Lawyer podcast. Today I have a very special guest on the podcast. It's Nigel Shepherd. Nigel probably doesn't need a huge amount of introduction to the family law audience. Nigel is a specialist family lawyer, a consultant at national firm Mills and Reeve, and also an advisor to litigation funder Ampla Finance. Uh, it's, it's fantastic to have you on the podcast, Nigel. Thank you so much for joining. Great to be here, David. The topic of discussion today is no-fault divorce. You were a vocal advocate of changing the law, uh, which obviously we achieved in April of 2022. And we're now sort of 18 months down the line. We're starting to see how the legislation has actually played out in the family law community. And the sort of the direction of the discussion today is some of the intended and perhaps unintended consequences of the legislation. So it's going to be an interesting chat, no doubt, Nigel. My first question, always the same. I've given a a short introduction to you, but perhaps you might tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing now, both for Mills and Reeve and for Amplifinance. Yes, of course, David. I'm I'm now focusing uh, through Mills and Reeve on financial arbitration work and private FDRs stroke early neutral evaluation in the financial field. For Amplifinance, I have various different sort of limbs to the role. Strategy, overall strategic assistance, um, some technical advice on the more complex cases that we're asked to lend on in, in family law circumstances. And just generally putting Ampler in touch with the people that I know, the, the contacts I built up over 40 years or so doing the work. It's almost a separate conversation in itself because, of course, litigation funding has been in the press recently, but we won't go there. I'm much more interested in the no-fault divorce stuff. You were a vocal advocate for changing the divorce law for many, many years. How and why did that become such a passion for you in the first instance? I think it all stems from my involvement in resolution. I joined SFLA, as it then was, Solicitors Family Law Association, uh, back in the mid-1980s. It's the 40th anniversary this year of resolution. So it started in 1982-1983. And I joined probably in about 1985-1986, became involved um, initially in the local Manchester group. And I became its first formal chair after the steering group. And then I got elected to the National Committee in 1991. Um, In 1993, I became vice chair and then I took over as chair in 1995. And this coincided with the period of the Law Commission's report on divorce reform uh, in 1990 and uh, moved from there through initially legislation uh, that became the Family Law Act 1996, which would have introduced no-fault divorce uh, but never got implemented. So if you like, I've been involved 
for most of the time that no-fault divorce has been uh, in the forefront of thinking from the Law Commission and from government. We then had a period where it just fell off the back of the the, the cooker and wasn't even on the back burner. But we never gave up. The, the, the sort of mood changed again and there was more talk about it. And uh, because of my previous involvement, Resolution asked if I'd like to come back and be the first person ever to chair the organisation twice, which I did and was able to uh, see through the the reform during my second period as chair. Um, it didn't have to get implemented and enacted until after I'd finished that it was whilst I was still um, on the national committee of the organisation, so it runs like sort of like a, a, a piece of rock, if you like, through through me. Um, no fault divorce. Tell me a little bit about how the legislation developed. In particular, what involvement did you and resolution have in in helping to shape what ultimately has has been enacted? We've been uh, sort of key parts of it really through political lobbying, PR campaigning, and most importantly, through our membership across the country, through our regional groups, and just really sort of keeping on banging the drum, pointing out that as practitioners, we could see on a daily basis the impact of the fault-based process on the work that we were doing and the families that we were helping. So to us as practitioners, it was a no-brainer that the old system added to acrimony um, when the whole ethos of resolution and um, all practicing family lawyers who do the job properly should be to try to reduce tension, reduce acrimony, reduce dispute and try and find settlements. And the old system was getting in the way of that. And um, our campaigning highlighted that. And I've said this to a few people uh, through the course of the podcasts that we record, but you know, divorce is a naturally acrimonious process. Uh, I mean, no fault divorce in inverted commas is, is almost a misnomer, Nigel, do you think? I mean, we're never going to get to that stage, are we? Uh, well, for some people, they are able from the outset to be amicable, to want to do it the right way. And lots of the people we see are like that. Obviously, it's a very difficult thing for people. The breakdown of a, a personal relationship like that is rarely easy. But what the old divorce system did was make it harder than it needed to be. Now, of course, the fact that we've now got a no-fault divorce system doesn't mean to say that people won't be upset with each other. There will still be bad behaviour. But what we are saying is that that doesn't need to be part of the legal process for getting a divorce. That anger, that upset um, needs to be managed um, and not made worse by a system that pushes people into blaming each other. And that was really, that was the basis of, of what we were saying as practitioners. It was the basis of the research, excellent research that was done by Liz Trinder and her team uh, called Finding Fault, which was published in 2017. And it was the basis of reports in the case of Owens and Owens, highlighting um, again, that the, the old system was doing damage and needed reform. Uh, and eventually the government listened and that's why we, we ended up with the, with the new process. Mm. I mean, you've talked uh, already about the journey that you've been on uh, and described it as a, a, a rock or a rod as, as part of your practice. But I mean, this, is, this has taken 20 years and, and more. Uh, did you ever lose faith that it might 
finally come to fruition? Um, no, I didn't think because we were always through resolution pushing for it. I genuinely believed that it would happen. If you'd asked me whether I thought it would happen A, before I retired or B, before you know, I shuffled off this mortal coil, I might have had a different answer, but I thought it would happen. Um, I'm just delighted that it that it happened whilst I was still actively involved in doing the work that I do and, and can see what it means to people. And it, it, it was a momentous day, wasn't it, in April of 22? How did that feel? What we did at Resolution is we, we, had, we had a parliamentary day where we invited MPs from all parties to come and talk to us about uh, why change was needed. This was before um, the reform actually went through. I gave evidence to the parliamentary select committee during the progress of the bill. Um, so I was very actively involved in that. And uh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. We, we did have a banner outside Parliament. Yeah, it, it was a momentous day. Um, I, I remember watching the debate or listening to the debate uh, in the final reading on the radio uh, when it was going through Parliament and, uh, and and sent a tweet out about how momentous it was when it actually got through that stage. And yeah, I mean, when it finally became implemented, it was the end of a long road. But between it, it getting royal assent in 2020 and being implemented in 2022 there was still an enormous amount of work to be done around the rules and i was heavily involved in that with the resolution as well which leads us rather neatly on to the nitty-gritty of the discussion for today i suppose which is this question about whether it's worked have we done the right thing have we implemented it at the right time does the legislation actually deliver what it set out to deliver in your mind there's a couple of questions all wrapped up in there Nigel I, I guess the first question is in, in your view you know has it worked is it is it doing what it set out to achieve largely I think it it, it has ironically having worked so hard in in trying to get this over the line over so many years I actually have not personally in practice um, done a case with a client under the new system because I stopped doing that day-to-day -day client work um, to focus on arbitration and private FDRs before it came into force. So um, I haven't personally done one, but lots of people have been kind enough to come up to me and say that it has made an enormous difference to the clients that they're seeing. Um, my own colleagues at Mills and Reeve um, have reported back to me on that and I asked them obviously how things are going. So overall, very positive. I think issues such as they are are more to do with the administrative side around how it works um, and the government portal that the, that the divorce is done through, rather than the principle itself, which I think has been almost universally welcomed by people um, as achieving its objectives, which was to try and avoid unnecessary blame and acrimony when you start the divorce process so people can focus on sorting out the arrangements for their children, sorting out their finances. Is there enough public awareness of this new legislation or do we still have this issue where people are waiting two, five years, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to divorce because they're unaware that this legislation now exists? Um, I think people are aware of the legislation and it got a lot of publicity at the time. Funnily enough, 
the first time around in 1996, when we had the Family Law Act, there was real objection to it from from MPs and from people saying it would make divorce easier. That debate really didn't take off at all this time around, which I think shows how society has changed in terms of its attitude, even from 1996 to 2020. And more and more people recognise that, sadly, relationships do break down and more and more people want to try and focus on the future and get on with that without having to blame people for adultery or blame people for for behaviour. So I think the time was right for that and that's been demonstrated by the reaction to it. I think people are aware of it. It was on the front page of the papers. It was was on the TV. I appeared on on TV about it Um, and even made private eye, would you believe, in 2020. I, I, I'm not personally named in it, but I always wanted to be in private eye. Um, but in uh, April 2022, um, it had a obviously it was a satirical piece about no fault divorce, but it, it actually appeared in there. So lots of publicity about it. People still need to be guided and about how it works in practice. The principle of the fact that you you know don't have to blame people, I think, is is quite widely known by by the clients that people um, see. Are there any unintended consequences of the legislation? I mean, you, you've talked about the fact that there hasn't been this uproar about divorce being easier, for example. But is, is there anything that you've come across that you didn't anticipate the legislation would have an impact on? Not really. As I say, I, I'm I'm relying on my colleagues at Mills and Reeve and others uh, as to how it works in practice. Um, I think one of the questions that people were worried about is if if you can't tell your story in the divorce petition or application, as it's now called, and you don't have that opportunity to say he did this or she did that, uh, one of the one of the issues and concerns was where does that distress and anger go? Um, are you sweeping it under the carpet? I think you've alluded to this. Are you sweeping it under the carpet so that it's going to burst out at some point later in an uncontrolled way? Um, I think the answer to that is that it's still there. You have to recognize and acknowledge that the hurt and distress will often be there. Uh, but you can simply say to people, let's deal with that in different ways. Um, maybe you'd be helped by some counseling. Let, let's talk about how that works if you're in mediation or in collaborative law. Um, you manage it in different ways. It, it's just not part of the formal process because all the evidence was that having to put that down on paper at that stage was actually getting in the way of people trying to sort things out in a constructive manner. I don't want to bang on about acrimony because there's a, you know, the whole point of this discussion the whole point of the legislation is to really try and reduce that as you as you say but it is interesting to hear that your work now is on private fdrs and arbitration because is that the new forum for that loggerhead issue that uh, might previously have been part of the petition for example there's a risk that because it's no longer as part of the divorce process it 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 bubbles up, as I say, in some other forum, whether that be finances or, if even more concerned, children arrangements. But I think that, that that was always there anyway. The evidence was that starting off with blame in the divorce petition itself was going to escalate those concerns in other forums rather than minimize them. So I think it is about management. It is about helping people understand that these feelings 
are natural, it's a tough time. Changing the divorce process doesn't remove that human response to the breakdown of the personal relationship. It's just that you manage it in, in different ways. And is that a new skill that family lawyers have got to learn or, or incorporate into the, this new process, do you think? Oh, it's not a new skill at all. It's exactly the skill set that family lawyers have had for, for many years or should have, and the training very much focuses on that. To give you an example, there is that there's there's much more mediation going on at the moment, still not enough. And mediators in particular were finding that they were starting off the process with one hand tied behind their back because of what people were putting in the divorce petition. So minimizing acrimony, trying to help people to be constructive, uh, trying to say, look, at the end of the day, you're feeling very raw at the moment. How do you want to look back on this process in three years time, in five years time? So one of the things that we used to say to people is say, you're feeling really angry at the moment about your, your other half. Rightly, or, you know, that's, that's the way that you feel. But you want to be able to go together to the wedding of your children. Do you want to be able to go to their graduation? Do you want to be able to go to parents' evenings together? Is that, if so, then actually putting all that anger into this now, rather than trying to sort it out, is going to make that so much more difficult, if not impossible. So the change in the divorce law has been a natural progression from the approach that the good family lawyer was already taking and should be taking. It's interesting you say that. I mean, it was put to me recently that we train lawyers, and not just family lawyers, but we train lawyers in general to be litigators first. And then we seem to have to retrain them once they're actually in practice on the softer skills and the softer side of, of the law. Is, is that something that you recognise? The training for a lawyer, including a family lawyer, in very early stages focuses on the law at the end of the day. Um, although many family lawyers are also mediators, they're also collaborative practitioners, they're also arbitrators. At the end of the day, we're lawyers and we're trained as lawyers. One of the things that Resolution has been pushing for is to try to get that, you say softer skills, actually we think they're harder skills, but they've traditionally been known as soft as opposed to hard black letter law. One of the things that we really want to focus on is to try and get training in that more holistic approach, in the understanding of people's emotions, in the understanding of how to how to, how to engage with clients in, in, in those fraught circumstances. We're trying to get that done earlier in people's careers. So it's embedded. It's a slow process because, you know, when you read about things, you read about court cases, you read about litigation, the, the, the cases that, that make the headlines, the cases that make the law reports are the ones, in our view, that have gone wrong because they've ended up in court rather than being settled. But they're the, they're the small minority. The vast majority of cases settle. And what the old divorce process did was make it harder to settle some of those because people were getting off on the wrong foot. Mm -hmm. So it's not new training, it's ongoing training. But I think this new process um, sits very comfortably with the approach that people should be taking anyway. And connected to this new process is this new language around divorce as well. Presumably you're a, an advocate of changing this negative and this acrimonious language around divorce. 
So, I mean, one of the things the legislation did was to to get rid of some more archaic terms and some some of which were Latin. So, um, it's a divorce application now rather than a petition. You've got an applicant. You've got a respondent. Instead of a decree nice, it's a conditional order of divorce, and instead of a decree absolute, it's a final order of divorce. All that makes sense. We we should be speaking in a language that people understand. It's complex anyway. I mean, the divorce process itself now isn't complex. It's really quite straightforward. Although some people still need guidance as to how it works. Even if we're helping people out with their finances and their children and 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 advising them, very often. We at Mills and Reeve and other family lawyers around the country will be saying to the clients, you can do the divorce bit yourself online. You don't need to pay us to do that. Um, you might just ask us a couple of questions about it, but in, a, in the vast majority of straightforward situations where um, there's going to be a divorce under this new process, they can go onto the portal themselves and do it. And then they can focus their, their legal spend on sorting out the children if there's any dispute about about the arrangements there and sorting out the money, um, which is which is where the bulk of our work always was anyway. The divorce itself was a vehicle to get you through to the other side of uh, the situation. To focus on the things that 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 I'm not saying that the divorce doesn't matter. Of course, it's a very important psychological point, and we should never lose sight of that. But the process, the divorce process itself, is only the, the minor part of what we as family lawyers are helping people with. And I guess connected to this language conversation is the opportunity that the new legislation presents to do a joint application for the first time. But we've not seen a huge amount of take up around that. No, I mean, that was a, that was a very important part of, of the legislation for the first time that people could apply jointly as an indication of their their wish to try and resolve things amicably. There hasn't been as great a take up of that. I think that that's not to do with the principle. I think that's more to do with just how the portal works. And sometimes it's easier for one person to do it. I mean, one person still has to go onto the portal to do it and start it for a joint application. Um, so we haven't seen as many. But as I say, I don't, I don't think that's to do with the principle. And hopefully those numbers will increase. But that's a really important thing. It's, it, it's a message that, that the couple is sending to the outside world and to themselves that you know we both accept that sadly this is over we just want to try and uh, and get through it in the right way we've seen lots of uh, and I, I hesitate to bring hollywood into our conversation nigel but we've seen lots of that going on uh, in in hollywood recently i was reading about people like Hugh jackman and his wife uh, will smith and uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, and even we go back to consciously uncoupling, which was a wonderful phrase that uh, the family law community picked up a few years ago. This amicable, in inverted commas, separation seems to be uh, something that is becoming a more of a thing. It was always there. It just didn't get the publicity because it doesn't make headlines, but it's there more than it was. And that's partly to do with society moving on, as I say, the change in attitudes, even between 1996 and 2020, people have moved on in their thinking. Divorce is, is acceptable in inverted commas. I mean, it's obviously difficult and people don't want it. You don't go into a marriage um, expecting to divorce. You go into it expecting it to last forever. But people are, I think, now more realistic about the fact that these things 
do happen and they want to deal with it in the right way. So when you see Hollywood people talking about it, even though they perhaps live very different lives to the vast majority of people, and you see soaps picking up on mediation and the narrative changing, um, that's all part of, of that picture. It's to be welcomed because you want people to do things in the right way and to, to focus on the future, not the past. I want to finish with a question about what the future looks like. We haven't got a crystal ball, but what do you see that, that the next 12 to 18 months looks like as these changes further embed themselves? Clearly, there's a lot of work being done around financial remedies. You talked about your own work in arbitration and private FDR as well. What do you kind of see happening in the family law space over the course of the next two, three, four years? I think the key thing that has, uh, in terms of campaigning and the change that will make a difference to um, the most people, is reform of the law around cohabitation. That's been part of resolutions campaigning for for years and years, along with no-fault divorce. So we've succeeded on no-fault divorce. Cohabitation reform is the next big thing that I think will happen. Um, Very encouragingly, the Labour Party at its conference announced that they would take steps to reform it. Resolution are just about to uh, launch their vision for family justice for the next few years. We'll have a look and and see all those things coming together. Financial remedy reform, uh, that'll take much longer. Law Commission is is looking at it, but that's a very big piece of work, comparative studies with other jurisdictions. There really is no simple answer to the reform of that. We've had the current system in place for years and years and years. It's a system that's based on legislation that hasn't changed, but the interpretation of that legislation through the courts changes all the time. Whether or not we can codify it further to reduce some of the uncertainty around the discretionary system without becoming a straitjacket and still able to do the right thing for the individual circumstances of family. That's the, that's the, the balancing act that, that we're having to, to grapple with. That won't be quick. A conversation for another podcast, almost certainly, Nigel. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on the podcast and uh, talk about your experiences over the past 20 years getting this legislation through. Thank you very, very much indeed for joining been a pleasure, David. Thank you. The Today's Family Lawyer podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk. My thanks to Nigel. Thank you as ever for listening and we'll see you again soon. You're listening to the Today's Family Lawyer podcast, the leading source of daily news and insight for family law practitioners in England and Wales. Sign up to our free weekly newsletter at todaysfamilylawyer.co.uk and subscribe to hear all the latest news and views from across the family law sector. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.